On this week's episode of Life and Lessons, I answer your questions on topics including the problem with self-help, the people I idolize, how I deal with stress in my life, and where I see myself in 10 years' time. Hey, what is going on? Welcome to this episode number 151 of Life and Lessons. I'm Sean Spooner, and if you're new here, here's what you need to know. This podcast is a place where I share the lessons I wish I knew sooner. Think of this as me learning out loud, sometimes on my own and sometimes joined by the most interesting people I know. The only thing that's guaranteed with this podcast is that every time you press play, you're going to learn something new. Now, hello. Hope you're well. Hope you've had a good couple of weeks since we last spoke like this. This episode is late, but with good reason. Um, it got to Thursday night when I'd normally record this episode and I just couldn't be bothered. I know that sounds silly, but I really could not be bothered at like 10 o'clock in the evening on a Thursday to come in here and do the particular episode that we're about to do. Because what I'm going to do today to mark 150 episodes of this podcast is a Q&A. And I feel like because it's not just me documenting what's happened over the past week, an episode like this kind of requires some energy, right? It quite requires some mental attention for me to try and think of good answers and answer the questions in a way that I think are valuable. And I couldn't be bothered doing that on Thursday. So today is Saturday. It is exactly half past two in the afternoon. I've just got to the office. I've got some electrolytes. I've got a black coffee and I'm just going to roll through it. There is no time limit on this episode. I think there's about 10 questions, so I'm not sure how long that will take. Um, but just before we get into that, I just want to say thank you for being here right? I know this is episode 151 because last week was a guest episode. So I'm doing this an episode late in theory, but 150 episodes of a podcast is no small task, right? And whether you've been here for a couple of episodes, whether you tune in every now and then, or whether you've stuck through the whole lockdown, the whole 2020, 2021, 2022, and you're here still today, whatever it might be, I just want to say thank you. And I know I said it a couple of weeks ago, so forgive me for repeating myself, but I genuinely, genuinely mean it. Um, I, I would do this if nobody was listening because it is like therapy, but there's just something more that I get from this when you sit down and listen, right? And when you send that message about a particular topic in a particular episode, or when you share this, or when you months or years down the line, bring up something in a conversation with me, which I mentioned that I'd forgot I'd even mentioned that at a particular point in your life now resonates with you, right? You'll notice the new intro, sharing lessons I wish I knew sooner, learning out loud, all that kind of stuff. That's kind of what this podcast has morphed into. And so that's why from this episode onwards, I wanted to change that intro because Yes, it's kind of about growing a business and growing as a person and all of that stuff. But if I really dial in what I do when I sit down here every week, what I share with you, the conversations that we have, it's just about learning, right? I am imperfect in almost every sense. And I don't say that to be overly critical of myself. I say that because I recognize that you must continue to learn. You must continue to have an open mind to get the most out of this life, right? When I was 23, I could have been like, okay, I'm an adult now. The government considers me an adult. I finished education. That's just me. And I promise you, if I had done that at 23, at 24, whatever it might be, my life would be in a worse place now. I would be less happy. I would have met fewer interesting people. I would have had fewer 
amazing opportunities, right? And the same will continue to be true for the entire duration of this podcast, however long it goes on for, and the entire duration of my life. And so I want this to be about learning out loud, right? Sharing the lessons I wish I knew sooner, trying to connect with you when you choose to listen on topics that happen to resonate with me right now based on what I'm going through in life and hopefully occasionally can resonate with you either proactively because it makes you think about something and actually shift course to not make a mistake that I'm going to make or maybe you're going through something that happens to be similar to something I speak about in any given week. That's what this place is going to be, right? So there's no, there's no reformat, right? It's going to, the podcast is going to stay exactly as it is right now. But the reason for the new intro uh, around the 150 episode mark is because I think that this podcast has changed since its first and second and third years, right? We're into the fourth year of this now. And so there we go. Um, there are, how many questions are there? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, eleven. I was self-filtering there. I was only counting the ones I'm going to answer because some of them, as you can imagine, are silly. So you may have seen that I asked you, if you follow me on Instagram, to ask a question for this episode. I like to do a Q&A every few months, almost just to check in to see where my mind is at and to, to give you answers to the things that perhaps I haven't covered as well as I could have done in the podcast. Today, there are 11 questions. Thank you if you did ask one. And I'm just going to roll into it. There's no time limit for this. There's no time limit for this episode. I said that way too quickly, which is ironic. There is no time limit for this episode. Uh, I'm just going to do one after the other and see where we get to. Beginning with the first question from Neve, who asked three people you've met and three people you'd like to meet who you idolize. I think I'll merge this, right? I'll try and talk about three people who I either have or haven't met who I idolize. And I was thinking about this about a week ago when this question came in. This is a difficult one because in some ways, this podcast, particularly at this point, now that it's reaching some sort of fruition and people are hopping on as guests who I idolize, I'm kind of getting to meet those people anyway. Um, I'd say the first person who I was really lucky to know, um, who I definitely idolized, right? Ask any of my friends, ask Lewis when I was at school with Lewis in year 11 and year 12, how I saw this person, right? Jamal Edwards, who I think he died just under a year ago now. But when I was like 14, 15, 16, um, and I was just beginning on this business journey, Jamal was the person who I look to. And I'm like, if he can do it, I can do it, right? It was around the time of the Google Chrome advert. To give you an idea of how much I idolized Jamal in those early business days, uh, I went to a Ed Sheeran album playback thing in September 2011, I believe it was, right? And stood at the front of the room was Ed Sheeran, this artist I loved who went on to become essentially the biggest musician on the planet, right? Anybody would look at Ed and be like, wow, that's incredible. But at the back of the room, was Jamal Edwards. And I was with my friend Beth and I must've been like 15, 16 and everyone's paying attention to the front of the room. And I'm like, Beth, fucking hell, Jamal Edwards is at the back of the room. Like I was losing my shit because I really idolized him because he was creating a blueprint for young people in business. And of course, for lots of other people, right? Jamal created lots of blueprints in lots of different ways for lots of different people, but for young people in business who perhaps didn't come from the kind of stereotypical well-off middle-class family who were definitely going to go on to help. Like, he just created a blueprint, right? 
And I really idolized Jamal. And in the years since then, he was kind enough to let me interview him for Magnate. He was always really supportive. He'd always check in occasionally. And so I was lucky enough to meet him. He was definitely, definitely my idol from a business perspective. I guess from a, I'm trying to break this down into different areas of life, from a kind of podcasting content perspective, although I've never met him in person, it's not going to surprise you to hear that the person whose content I resonate with most closely would be Chris Williamson's, right? Um, I went back yesterday just by chance because I was wondering what episode I began listening to that podcast on. And I scrolled back, I scrolled back. I began listening to Modern Wisdom on episode number five, which is, I believe around exactly five years ago. So episode number five, he is now on episode number 550, give or take. I'm not sure exactly where they're at, but like there have been hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of episodes that he has produced, hundreds of conversations of his that I've listened to, literally hundreds of thoughts of his that I have processed, right? And considered how they make me feel and considered what they mean for my life and learned all these lessons and so on. And as you know, Chris kindly jumped on the podcast back in June 2021-ish, April, May, June, a couple of years ago. And so I guess whilst I've never met him in person, that was almost the the closed feedback loop of being able to have that conversation for an hour with somebody who had unknowingly given me so much and allowed me to put them as a kind of distant role model, right? A distant mentor. Uh, I have reached out to Chris to invite him back onto the podcast in the second half of this year. He told me to get back in touch closer to the time. Will it happen? I don't know. He's a very busy man now who is best friends with Joe Rogan and Jordan Peterson and Jocko Willink and um, Goggins. So who knows? But that would be the second one. And I can't really think of a third specific person who I either have or haven't met who I idolize. But I I look at the world in a, a slightly unusual way, I think, in as much as and I think I've definitely said this on the podcast before about when I used to do nights out and I'd be in a, a smoking area and I would just find somebody with what, what they consider a really boring job to be really interesting. And the reason for that is because I find it fascinating to see how different people on different paths who have been dealt different hands see the world, how they live their lives, how they try their best, how they try to become the person they want to be through their own path and through their own kind of view of the world that only they can appreciate. And so this sounds really, really cheesy, but I I promise I mean this. There are lots of people who in one way or another, including essentially all of my friends who I genuinely idolize, because the second you have a slight bit of context into somebody's life and you recognize that they are not just their Instagram uploads, right? These people that we look at aren't just the two pics a month that they put on Instagram with a filter on. They're actually these people with incredibly complex incredibly unique lives who have gone through challenges that most of us don't know about, who are driving towards goals that most of us don't know about, and they're trying their best to do so, right? And maybe this is a kind of selection bias because I produce content and so on that I happen to be surrounded by people who are slightly more proactive, who have a bit more agency, who are go-getters. But I genuinely believe that 95% of the people I know are doing really interesting things. And so in a way, I idolize them all. So I don't need to pick a third person because the third person is everybody. Kevin asked, how do you define success in your field? And then in brackets, podcast or business. How do I define success? It's a weird one because if you were to have asked me 10 years ago, right? When I was that 14 or 15 year old who was obsessed with the idea of business, um, 
although 10 years ago, I was 17. Jesus, I'm getting old now. But you know what I mean? 12 years ago, when I first started out in this business thing, success to me would have been what we see on the internet, right? The the massive office with the slide and the uh, everything we see in the film, the social network and like a hundred employees and multi-million pound turnovers and all this stuff. And to be honest now, in a way, and this might just be the current cycle of life I'm in, success in business is actually just about creating a life which grants you the most amount of upside with the least amount of downside, right? And that's the nice thing about business. It's not like Olympic swimming, where one person comes first and every other person, right, from the final race through to the qualifiers, through to the regionals, through to however you get into that. I know nothing about swimming, terrible example to pick, but everybody other than one person in almost anything else in life loses, right? Whereas in business, if you define success in your own terms and you truly believe that that definition of success is success, right? So I'm not talking here about selling yourself short and kind of setting poor goals. But if your idea of success is just to have, like I said, the most amount of upside with the least amount of downside, it's very easy to be successful in that sense, right? So what do I mean? The most amount of upside, things like freedom of time. In theory, so long as I'm getting everything done I need to, I can work whenever I want. Freedom of location. Again, in theory, with this laptop that I'm recording this on right now and a couple of other bits, I can work whenever and wherever I want. And then also a kind of a freedom of mind, I guess, in as much as because you control so many of the variables when you're building a business, although there are things that come out of nowhere, like pandemics that cause lots of business owners, lots of panic, most of the stuff that goes on within a business is in front of you and you can, to an extent, either predict or control, right? And so the upside of running a business when done correctly is that you get to have control over the upside. You get to select when you work and where you work and you kind of push away the downsides. The downsides in traditional jobs, I guess, are your earning potential is capped. Your time is defined by somebody else who tells you when you're going to work. They also tell you where you're going to work. They also tell you when you have to work, as in you can't take annual leave on these dates here. They tell you whether or not you can move house on this day or whether you need to stay and work. And you're never actually getting all of the upside, right? Because by definition of a business, somebody else is having to take a margin on top of whatever skill set it is that you have developed. And I'm not saying that running a business is right for everybody, but I'm saying that my definition of success in a business It's just getting the best balance possible between those two things, right? The upsides are hard won. It is very difficult to get to a point where you can even begin to realize those upsides and the potential downsides are always lurking, right? They're always there. I remember Peter Watson um, once said that he doesn't like it in business when everything is going well, because he'll sit there and he'll just be waiting for the next curveball to come out of nowhere for the next problem, for the next issue, for the next whatever it might be, because they're always coming. And so that downside is also a constant balancing act. But I would say in business, my definition of success is just some form of contentment, some form of waking up every day and feeling that you're doing something that is useful and meaningful and serving customers, clients, whatever it might be in such a way that brings you purpose and meaning and financial security, of course, with fewer downsides than what probably comes with a traditional job. And then from there, you can do what you want, right? Because once you've got that foundation um, of skills, of contacts, of ability, you can almost 
just continue to push for decades to come. And that's what's exciting about business. How do I define success in the podcast? I don't know, to be honest. It was only about 10 months ago that I began to consider that this content stuff that I produce should be taken more seriously, right? You'll remember if you were listening, it was when I went to the podcast show in London, which I think was April last year. And I went there and everybody around me from the panels to the people I met with, to just kind of the, 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 the entire event was whispering this idea that content production should be seen as a business. And so in a sense that kind of forced me overnight to reconsider what success is with this podcast. And that doesn't mean, as I'm sure you know, that I've thrown away the previous definition of success because by the previous definition of success, it's already successful, right? This is a place where I can come to share my thoughts and connect with others and have guest conversations with people who I'd never be able to access before. And as cheesy as this sounds, occasionally somebody will leave a comment where they're like, that literally changed the way I see the world. That literally changed my life. That that 18 second clip where you explain this thing has changed the way I'm going to approach my life. When you get that even once, that is completely ridiculous and almost unimaginably cool, right? To think that something that you have put out into the world through a little bit of effort has changed the way somebody sees their life, has changed the way somebody approaches the world, whatever it might be. In that sense, it's already successful. In the sense of looking at it as a business, it is, of course, very early days. Um, I'm not really moving towards any financial targets with the podcast, with the content this year. My goals for the podcast and content this year are somewhat numerical, but they're based on things like subscribe account. They're based on these like very low level foundations to eventually begin to look at this more as a, a business, right? Look at this more as a way to build leverage. And I know there's a question in here later on that I will uh, go into more detail with that on. But for now, I would say the podcast is successful by its previous definition. Looking at it as more of a business it is very early days. I don't know what that that feeling of success will look like by the time we get to it. But for now, I'm just happy with how things are going. I need to find the next question now. Um, Cameron said, do you think people ever practice self-help advice or do you think them consuming it is enough? This is interesting because this is a big trend in the the self-help content community right now, right? Which is that people are picking up on the idea. People are detecting that so many people watch content that's motivational or gives advice or explains how to do a certain thing, but then a very, very few of those huge numbers of people who watch it do anything about it, right? It feels good to watch content that tells you uh, that you're enough and you can go and take on the world and you have it within you because we all want to hear those things, right? We want to believe that we can do what we want to do. And so watching that content, if you do nothing else, makes you feel great. It's no different in a way to any other kind of dopamine releasing activity. But the the true upside and the difficulty in all of it is the doing, right? If you're not doing, if you're not taking action based on that advice or that insight or that knowledge or whatever it might be, your life doesn't move forward. Nothing changes, right? The whole nothing changes if nothing changes idea is, is perfect here because you can watch as much content as you want. You can read as many self-help books as you want. You can go on as many mastermind courses as you want with all these different gurus, right? But if you 
at the end of the day aren't making the the deep the fundamental shifts within your life that you think you need to make nobody else can define those for you then of course the the self-help equation here are you helping yourself no you're not right so yes i believe that cameron's question is correct in its uh kind of assessment of self-help in as much as lots of people watch it very few people take action but then i would i would urge people who believe that they watch self-help content to just kind of pivot away from it not from watching the content, but rather from watching, sorry, from how they consider the content in as much as you shouldn't begin your journey of trying to change things in your life by watching a YouTube video and then being like, right, this YouTube video has told me that these are the six things I need to do to get attention from girls. So I'm going to do these six things. And then you watch another video and it's like, here are four principles of financial freedom in 2023. And you're like, right, well, this video has told me that I need to do these four. That's stupid right? Because this scattergun approach of clickbait titles that will pull you in and make you feel good for a few minutes doesn't take into account you and your life, right? Instead, what you should do, I believe, is sit down. And I've spoken about this a lot because it's still relatively early in the year, but sit down and create some goals or assess your current life and ask yourself, what would you like to change? What would you like to be different, right? And let's say the areas you land on is you would like more confidence and you would like to be better at saving some money because you're saving up for a mortgage or something. I don't know, right? Once you've got those two actual goals that are specific to you and your context and that you know that you want to move towards, it's at that point then that you should then go out and seek the advice of others. And you can seek that in books, on YouTube, on podcasts, conversations with friends, seeking out mentors who have been there and done it. Paul Mort's idea of ask who, not how, who's done this before. So rather than working out how to do something, work out who's done it before and ask them for advice. Create a space in which the content that you consume is already answering the questions you have rather than allowing content which is shiny and really highly optimized uh, to, to guide those questions in the first place, right? Because that, that scattergun approach of approaching self-help as a hobby and then allowing your goal for this week to be defined by whatever YouTube video you've just watched will leave you in a tailspin, right? It feels good to think that this week you're going to get six pack abs and then next week you're going to learn the four secrets that doctors don't want to like, it's just bollocks, right? Pick some goals, work backwards from there, use the internet and books as a tool to help you move towards your goals rather than the opposite. I think that's my answer there. Amy asked if everything you've ever posted was wiped from existence and you can only recover one thing, what would it be? Pfft, what a question. If everything I've ever posted was wiped from existence and I could only recover one thing, what would it be? Probably the first episode of this podcast, which is the worst episode of this podcast by far, by the way, terrible. Um, as, as everyone's first podcast episode is, but that very first episode where I ran through the, the history of the first 24 years of my life, I think I'd recorded it just before my 24th birthday. And I tried to summarize literally from the moment I was born right the way through to a few days before being 24, right? 24 years of life. And I really like, I scripted that episode. I sat down, I tried to consider like what came where, what, how did this thing make me feel? that doesn't seem all that interesting or significant when I'm 27, right? It was three years ago. 
I don't like, I don't, I would probably not go back and listen to that right now, mainly because I'd cringe. However, imagine having a documentary view of the first 24 years of your life summarized by a 24 year old version of you who was living in that moment exactly, who was using the perspective that they had only from that point backwards and listening to that when you're 50, listening to that when you're 75, giving that to your grandkids to listen to, right? The reason I would recover that one quite selfishly is because there's not a lot else I can tell you on this podcast. There's not a lot else I can say in my content that is truly, truly original, right? All of my thoughts in the same way as all of your thoughts are a collection and a combination of inputs of other people, right? That's essentially how thought works through uh, mimesis, what we learned about with Luke Burgess, this idea that we see other people, we hear their thoughts, we read this book, we see this video, and it kind of comes together in our mind into this unique perspective. But the unique perspective is made up of the perspective of other people. So I think I have a particular skill set in considering complex ideas, understanding how they should be applied within somebody's life, and then explaining that idea simply, right? But the ideas are out there. Nothing I will ever say on this podcast that is like a piece of advice or a concept is truly, truly unique. I may think it's unique. I may have thought of it myself, but there are 8 billion people on the planet, right? Somebody else is going to have thought of it. Somebody else is going to have said it. 24 years of my life documented out loud by 24 year old me in the moment, that will never be there again, right? And this is the reason why so many times in the past, I've told you that you should journal, why you should have a podcast, because you can't, you can't go back in time and document things in the moment the second that moment is gone, right? If you're older than 24 right now, you can't go back to when you were 24 and record that episode that I recorded. So I would save that one mainly just to hold on to it, if that makes sense. Nisha asked, when was the last time you did something for the first time? Oh God, that's a good question. I don't really know, which is interesting. I can't, nothing springs to mind immediately when I last did something for the first time. And that's kind of why I'm approaching this year in the way I am. I'm going to completely pivot on this question, but it will make sense. <laughs> this is the reason I'm approaching this year in the way I am in as much as there are goals that I set in Dublin when I was planning this year, which try to push me ever so slightly outside of what I've done already. So I haven't mentioned it yet, but earlier this week, I... Uh, registered to run the Cardiff half marathon. I'll talk about that more in the future. It's not until October. I cannot run like at all. I really cannot run. I, I could not run a kilometer if I needed to, right? Let alone a half marathon. But I've wanted to do that for years. And because I've been stuck in this cycle of kind of reviewing targets that are like numerical or subscriber count or business or this or that, I've never really looked up to be like, okay, I'm still in my 20s. I'm young this is the moment where I have the most freedom. This is the moment where I'm most likely to have health on my side and so on. What more can I do? And so there are things on that list like uh, climbing Penafan, it's a little mountain like 30 minutes from here, running that half marathon to force me this year to do more things that are firsts because there's not a lot in my life right now that's that novel. And don't get me wrong, I like that. I like having the predictability, but there's, there's a slight bit of 
disorder that's needed, I think, to make life exciting, right? So that it's not just great. Like, here's a good example. Here's a good example. If you follow me on Instagram, you'll see the here's everything I did in week X of 2023 videos I'm producing. And on week two, which was just a normal week in the office, somebody messaged me and they were like, Sean, what do you do for fun? There is no fun in there. And I'm like, don't worry, I'm going to see the 1975 next week. But really, like, there's not that much disorder in my life. And I like that. I'm not suggesting that I should completely sideswipe my life and make it chaos. However, I think that peppering in more things this year, which are just a bit novel, which scare me a bit more, which are less certain, definitely is a goal. So although I can't yet answer that question, hopefully by the end of this year, I will be able to. Neve asked, if you could meet pre-podcast Sean, would he be proud of 2023 Sean? Yeah, I think so. I'm doing all right. Um, yeah, it's weird. It's weird that because I document my life every week, because there have been so many repetitions between now and like three years ago, it's really hard to remember what three years ago was like. And that sounds like a contradiction, right? There's so much documentary proof of what's happened over the last three years. But because I've done it so often, three years ago feels like a lifetime ago. And I can't really remember without going back and listening to that episode number one, which I'm not going to do right now. I can't really remember where my head was at, right? I don't remember what life was really like back then. Bear in mind, that was pre-pandemic. That was pre-Pata rebrand. That was pre-me having a driver's license. That was pre-so many things. Like Almost everything in my life right now is different to how it was back then. But because no singular thing has changed in like a, a big flash, it's been so gradual, it's been so eventual that, yeah, I don't really remember, but I'm sure pre-podcast Sean would be relatively happy with where current podcast Sean is at. Um, I'm going to skip this question because it's similar to the last one or a couple of questions ago. Dan Knowlton asked a really interesting question. He said, what's your reason for building your personal brand and your podcast, etc.?" And then Dan said in brackets, I'm just nosy. Uh, so Dan, if you don't know, runs Knowlton, a uh, video agency with his brother. They produce incredible content. I'm just going to throw it out there to begin with. Dan's content, when I see it on Instagram and when I see it on LinkedIn, is genuinely 10 out of 10. Those guys make the best adverts for their own business ever. Like they're funny, they're original, they're incredibly well produced, but then also they're killing it from a client uh, delivery perspective, evidently because they're currently signing really big clients. Great guys. Um, say great guys. I only know Dan through the internet and I don't know his brother, but they seem to be like great people, right? So cool to have a question from Dan. Why do I build my personal brand? It's kind of to do with delayed leverage, if I can get away with saying that without sounding too clinical and business-like um, with this thing that I say, oh, I would do this if nobody was listening. I would do this if nobody was listening, but also I'm adult enough to appreciate that people are listening, right? And there are things that I want to do in life which require leverage to do, rightly or wrongly. That's just the way of the world, right? Like we spoke towards the end of last year about the book that I had began writing. And the concept of that book is reliant on all of these podcasts in a sense without giving away too much, but also the, the avenues which are open to me or which will be open to me a couple of years from now when I get around to publishing that book will be greater because of this podcast, because of the X number of downloads that it would have had by that point, because of the X number of subscribers and followers and even shit like the blue tick on Instagram. Paul Moore was telling me that from 
the work that he does with publishers, with speaking engagements, like a blue tick, a few blue pixels on the screen is valuable. That comes about through pumping out content, right? Similarly, with things like speaking engagements, um, the fact that I've done 150 podcasts like this should probably tell you that I quite enjoy kind of collecting my thoughts and sharing them with other people in such a way that I hope brings some kind of value or prompts thoughts in other people's minds. This is just something I enjoy doing that on certain stages at certain events pays very well, right? Like let's, let's not dress it up. You can be paid very good money to stand on a stage and be yourself and share your own thoughts for 30 minutes, for 60 minutes, right? I absolutely want that to be a source of revenue in the future. 100%. Like I'd be lying if I said I didn't. However, there are lots and lots and lots of people who, who would say, yeah, I'd love to speak on stage and get paid for it. Of course there are. But there are very few people who put in the necessary reps, 150, 250, 500 times, whatever this ends up being, to build the initial audience to help shift tickets to events, right? Because that's how transactional this stuff is. To have a set of thoughts that are kind of your lane and have developed those thoughts sufficiently to the point where when you're on stage in front of 500 people, you can deliver in eight minutes uh, a package on a topic that makes absolute perfect sense and you know will leave 40% of the room with a certain thought in their mind. All this stuff, right? So there's no exact end goal for building internet, Sean, as I call it, because this is, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm a genuine person. I'm, I'm true in everything I do in this content, but it's also like a subsection of me, right? You don't see the days when I'm in bed at midday because I can't be bothered getting out of bed. You don't see the days when I don't follow any of my habits despite telling you to follow habits. You don't see the days when I can't be asked. Internet Sean is like a subsection of my wider personality. Of course it is. We're all doing that on the internet. And the reason that I'm spending the time to invest in it, in it, in me, I don't know, in this content year after year is because there is eventual upside. And that upside is absolutely delayed right? It will take years to get there. But I also believe that it is compounding. And every time somebody subscribes to the YouTube channel, every time a new person hears a thought, every time somebody who runs one of these events comes across a page of mine, this is all compounding to the point where one day I believe that it will pay off. So that's why I build the personal brand. Anne asked, what do you do to stress less at work? How do you feel confident whilst dealing with people? Um, the stress piece is interesting because I think when I started in the world of business, I would stress everything until as recently as probably 2018. Things would really get to me. Um, and don't get me wrong. Some of the reason why it's less stressful now is we have shifted and adapted our business model to just be slightly more sensible, right? set expectations better, become better at what we do, all of these things, they definitely play into it. However, I think you reach a certain point in life. And by the way, for anybody who's not 27 listening to this, anybody who's older than me, it'll probably sound ridiculous this coming from me, but you reach a certain point in life where you've seen most things, right? Yes, I'm only 27, but I've been running businesses in one form or another and been taken seriously by adults since I was like 14, right? I was on bloody BBC National News at 15 because I ran a business. I was on the apprentice at 16 because I ran a business. I was skipping school at 17 and 18 because I was running businesses. And it's been 10 years since that point, 10 years of actually being out in the real world, trying to do this stuff, 10 years of 
meeting clients, 10 years of shaking hands, of building skill sets, of making mistakes, of learning lessons, right? There comes a point where you have seen almost everything in business and by extension, almost everything in life at least once. And so when you see something for the first time, because we are creatures of certainty, right? We like certainty and all sorts of stress responses light up within us for good reason when we see something that we don't recognize. Because in the past, that something may have been a dangerous food that you weren't supposed to eat. That something may have been somebody from another tribe coming to spear you, right? That something may have been a dangerous animal that you shouldn't go near. Those same responses, from what I understand, and this is complete bro science, but those same responses light up within us when we're met with a new situation that isn't fatal, right? That isn't a danger to our very existence that probably doesn't matter that much in the scheme of things. But it is that chronic stress that so many people experience because they're meeting these new situations for the first time, right? So like the first time we almost lost a client, terrifying. The first time we messed up with something that we shouldn't have done, like really big deal. Don't get me wrong. We try not to, and we don't really, but these are, these are valid examples. Nonetheless, the first time we encountered a legal battle with another business, the first time we had to hire somebody and we were looking at the cash flow and thinking, God, that's a big investment. The first time we moved into a bigger office, the first time we took a gamble with some sort of thing in business, the first time you do all of these things, the same responses are lighting up that make this feel critically dangerous and terrifying. And because of the negativity bias, our mind is going to the worst case scenario every time, which means that we're exploring all of the reasons in our mind proactively why this is going to ruin us, right? If you're in a job, this is the reason you're going to get fired. If it's a relationship, this is the reason why you're going to hurt the other person's feelings and be single for the rest of your life, whatever it might be. But once you've been through any given situation once, you realize through these micro case studies I've spoken about in the past that almost everything that seems to matter a huge amount, almost everything that seems to be critically important in the moment and like make or break for you and your life and your career and your business and your relationships and your finances and everything isn't, right? It's not. And you know that because you're still here. You know that because you have been through dozens of those situations in your life so far and yet you're here listening to a podcast and you're fine. This is proof that most of those things that feel like they're a big deal are not because you made it past them and the worst case didn't come to fruition. And if it did, you managed to find a way past it, right? You're here, you're okay. And I kind of take the same approach in business because business is stressful, of course it is. Like what I was saying earlier with Peter's idea that you're always just waiting for the next problem, you are. You are always waiting for the next problem. But once you've seen a problem once, once you've been through a certain situation once, it becomes a lot less scary. Uh, I feel like there's a second part to that question. How do you feel more confident whilst dealing with people? I'm going to skip that part for now because I've done episodes in depth on confidence and I think it's a very complicated, very nuanced um, topic and one that I don't think I can do justice to right now. Will asked who inspired you to do podcasts and what you love, etc. I think the short answer here is uh, Modern Wisdom, Chris Williamson, because I didn't have a podcast before I listened to that. I listened to like 100 episodes of that and I thought I could do that and then I did it. That's the short answer. Um, I think the first podcast I ever properly, properly listened to was The Diary of a CEO back in the actual social chain days. So before it was what it is today, which is essentially like a TV talk show with eight different cameras and this crazy setup and lots of A-listers who come to cry before it was this massive mainstream thing. The diary of a CEO was Stephen Bartlett sitting down in a cupboard under his stairs, 
with a little thing that he plugged into his iPhone as a microphone documenting his life building social chain. That was probably the first podcast I got into. I don't know who inspires me to do what I love. I'm not sure that somebody can inspire you to do that. I feel like we all want to do what we love to answer the second half of that question. I feel like every single one of us listening to this right now has a wanting to go out there and do what we want to do, right? There's a list of things that you want to do this year. It's a list of things you want to do before you're 30 or 40 or 50. There's a list of things that you want to do in life and nobody's going to do it for you. There's not a person coming to save you. There's not a person coming to encourage you. Nobody's going to push you to do those things. And it's it's almost like, and this is so cliche, but it's almost like you have two lives, right? You have the life when you think that somebody's coming to save you, where somebody's coming to encourage you, where you can do this next year because next year will be different. You'll be happy when you buy this because this thing will make you, you'll be happy when you have it. Like, it's nonsense. There is nothing there. And in your second life, when you realize that actually you are the only person who is going to achieve your goals, who's going to push you to do what's right for you, who's going to look after your own health, build your body, build your business, sort your finances, whatever it might be. You can only inspire yourself to do that. And that, again, I've said so many things that sound cliche in this episode, but I don't think anybody inspires me to do what I love because nobody can. And then I've left a big one to last question from Chloe. Chloe asked, where do you see yourself in 10 years time, business and personal? And then she said, oh, we will be old. We will be old 10 years from now. I'll be almost turning 40, which is terrifying. Where do I see myself in 10 years? I don't really know, to be honest. I don't really know. Um, hopefully in a position where the business or businesses that I own are more hands-off for me. I don't think I ever want to be somebody who does nothing because that sounds dreadfully boring and I really enjoy doing. But, you know, by the time I'm 40, it'd be nice to have businesses that are ran by their own management teams and that can be self-sufficient and take care of themselves to a point whereby I don't need to work stupid hours to keep things going. Be good to have a family in 10 years. I say that with a smile on my face because I don't quite know the steps of how you get there. Yeah, I should probably start replying to people's texts. That'd be a good first step. Um, yeah, I don't really know. You know, if I, if I had the same feeling inside of me today in 10 years time, this same feeling of there truly is potential within me and out there, this same feeling that I'm going to be okay, the feeling that I can actually do the things I want to do, the feeling that there is not really other than maybe health, there's not really any barriers that are going to stop me and what I want to do because most things are manageable. This feeling that actually life is exciting and people are good and there's just so much good out there, right? If I can hold on to that feeling that I, I remember having when I was 16 and I have it now, I'm 27. If I can have that when I'm 40, if I can still be seeing the world, not through this kind of spiteful, dark, horrible lens that so many people seem to see the world through, but actually to just have this slightly naive belief that everything can be okay, that people are good, that life has potential, right? If I have that feeling, then that will be success, right? I don't, I don't know where I'll be. I don't know what the business will look like. I don't know what my personal life will look like. Hopefully I'll have facial hair by then. That's a good goal. Um, but generally it's more just about feeling, right? There's that, um, there's an ad lib in a Big Sean album from about 12 or 13 years ago where somebody says life is a feeling process and it is 
Like life is nothing if not feelings, right? Life isn't the revenue number of a business or whether or not I have a family by then or whether or not I have facial hair by then, right? Life is none of those things because all of those things to an extent without the feeling attached to them are intangible. And yet if I just feel this way or even better, if I feel better than I currently do, that will be a success. So I think that is a good place to end. Uh, thank you so much for listening to this episode, to any number of episodes. Do me a big favor. If you've enjoyed this, please subscribe wherever it is you're listening. Subscribers is a big target of mine this year on YouTube, on Apple, on Spotify, wherever else. So just do me a quick favor. If you've enjoyed this and you're, and you're not already subscribed, please do. Uh, and share this episode if you can. If there's somebody who you think will enjoy this podcast more generally, right? I think that this episode is a good gateway for somebody because it, it kind of zooms out and it shows my views more broadly rather than me talking about what I've done in a specific week. So please, if you can share this on your social, share it with a friend, put it in a WhatsApp group chat, whatever. I appreciate it. Sorry, poorly timed hiccup there. Um, and that is it. Next week, you're going to hear my conversation with Dr. Meg Arrow. Very, very, very interesting conversation. I promise you genuinely, you do not want to miss that. But in the meantime, thank you as always for listening. And I'll see you back here this time next week for episode number 152 of Life and Lessons. See you then. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.